We're learning more about tinnitus at a steady clip as researchers use newer imaging modalities to help us understand the cause of this condition and study lifestyle and behavioral modifications that may limit its effects. Do certain causes of tinnitus change our insights into its manifestations? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. Our guest is Dr. Richard Salvi, Professor in the Department of Communicative Disorders and Sciences and Director of the Center for Hearing and Deafness at the State University of New York at Buffalo School of Medicine. Dr. Salvi is an internationally respected expert on tinnitus. Welcome, Dr. Salvi. Glad to be here and glad to be able to speak to your audience. We are discussing the range of causes of tinnitus. Dr. Selvi, which patient groups most commonly suffer from tinnitus? Probably the most common individuals, if you were to look at the statistics, would be people that are in their 50s, 60s, who develop what are called age-related hearing loss. It might be a little bit of a misnomer because as you age, you know, during your lifetime, you also get some noise exposure. So oftentimes, elderly people have a combination of age-related hearing loss combined with earlier noise-induced hearing loss. So noise exposure and aging are major causes. For younger individuals, being around very loud music, if you go to a lot of rock concerts, if you're a serious rock musician and you play at high levels, you're very prone to getting noise-induced hearing loss. Our soldiers that are serving in Afghanistan and in Iraq, if they're around explosive devices or loud rifle cannon fire, these individuals are very prone to getting noise-induced hearing loss and tinnitus. It's been estimated, recent studies showing that people that are in combat personnel, the people that are actually out there doing the fighting, anywhere from 30 to 50% of them come back to the states with noise-induced hearing loss and tinnitus. So it's quite a problem for the military. What about the personnel who work at the airports around the airplanes and such? These people, again, are going to be particularly susceptible to getting noise-induced hearing loss. You know, the jet aircraft that are flying out, if you get behind one of those engines, they're extremely high level and doesn't take very much of a very high-level exposure that's in the 130, 140 dB range. Only a short-duration exposure would be enough to give you a, a hearing loss. So when you're at the airport, you'll notice that most personnel that are working around the aircraft are wearing some sort of hearing protectors. If they're not, they're really putting themselves at risk to getting hearing loss and getting tinnitus. And this is something that's not going to repair itself. Uh, it's something that's going to stick with you for really the rest of your life. Now, when someone is at a rock concert or a sporting event and they have a very, very loud sound, and when you leave that event, you hear that ringing in your ears. Is that tinnitus? That's exactly right. That's usually a sign when you walk out of a rock concert or a noisy environment and you have sort of this fullness in your ear and you hear tinnitus, you've probably done some damage to your ear. Typically what happens is you'll get some resolution. Part of the hearing loss and the tinnitus may be temporary. It may go away if you're very lucky. In many cases, however, you'll get some residual permanent hearing loss, and in some cases, the tinnitus will also be permanent. 
So this is an area where you have to be extremely cautious when you're around very, very high levels of noise. The higher the level, the shorter the duration of exposure that will produce a hearing loss or produce tinnitus. Well, then how do you differentiate a great number of people who, after they sleep that night, they wake up and their hearing is fine and don't have the tinnitus, and those who have persistent tinnitus or even hearing loss? That's an interesting question. Each individual shows a susceptibility to various types of diseases. You know, you could ask why some people who smoke never get lung cancer, while others who probably smoke minimally or have various limited exposure get lung cancer. The same could be said for hearing loss and tinnitus. Some people have what we call tender ears, and they basically lose their hearing very rapidly or get tinnitus very quickly after a noise exposure. Other people seem to have ears that are tough and resistant and seem to be able to withstand a greater amounts of noise exposure or age-related hearing loss. So there probably is a genetic component to susceptibility to age-related hearing loss, noise-induced hearing loss, and susceptibility to tinnitus. Unfortunately, we have pretty limited understanding of the genes and genetic factors that contribute to that in human beings. We have some idea of some of the genetic factors in animals that contribute to the hearing loss. And if it contributes to hearing loss, it probably is going to contribute to tinnitus also. Do the newer imaging modalities such as functional MRI help us to better understand tinnitus? Yes, they do. The two imaging modalities that probably have played the biggest roles in understanding tinnitus would be PET imaging, where you use a radio-labeled tracer. That was some of the work that was done by myself and Dr. Lockwood here at University of Buffalo. And then functional MRI, which is a non-radioactive technique. And both of these techniques look at blood flow in the brain, and the blood flow is really related to the amount of neural activity. So people that have tinnitus, oftentimes you can see unusual patterns of activity in parts of the auditory brain associated with their tinnitus. In the patients that we were able to image probably about eight or ten years ago, our imaging techniques involved patients who could modulate their tinnitus, make the tinnitus louder or quieter by clenching their jaw or moving their eyes. When they clench their jaws or move their eyes, they claim that the tinnitus got louder or quieter and we could identify the parts of the brain where the brain activity changed when these people were claiming that their tinnitus perception was changing. So these were very powerful techniques for identifying parts of the brain that were involved with tinnitus. Similar experiments to these were done by other investigators using functional MRI. So these studies on imaging basically shifted tinnitus from being a disorder of the ear to maybe a disorder of the brain. So conventional wisdom these days is that the aberrant activity that gives rise to tinnitus is probably located in the brain rather than the ear per se. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest today is Dr. Richard Salvey, professor in the Department of Communicative Disorders and Sciences and director of the Center for Hearing and Deafness at the State University of New York at Buffalo School of Medicine. Dr. Selvey is an internationally respected expert on tinnitus. 
We are discussing the range of causes of tinnitus. Dr. Selvi, what are the most common causes, both environmental as well as illnesses and diseases? Well, the most common cause probably would be age-related hearing loss, and followed close behind that would be noise-induced hearing loss. Typically, individuals that are exposed early in life from rock concerts, if you're a hunter and shoot a gun, if you're in the military around a lot of loud noises, if you're around aircraft or equipment that generates a lot of noise, let's say a jackhammer, then you're really susceptible to getting tinnitus and hearing loss at a very early age. But tinnitus and hearing loss usually rises very rapidly around age 40, 50 or so. You can see it accelerate. And many people that are in the age range of 65 and 70 have tinnitus and hearing loss. From a practical perspective, our soldiers overseas who are exposed to loud noises such as gunfire and explosions, how can they protect their ears but at the same time communicate with each other? That is one of the major dilemmas for the military. When the soldiers are in training, they often wear hearing protection. When they're out on the rifle range practicing to shoot the rifles or artillery pieces, when they're out in battle, however, they need to hear. And in order to detect enemies in the environment, they typically do not wear any hearing protection, and they're extremely vulnerable at this time. Also, when explosions go off, you don't know when it's going to occur, when an explosive device is going to go off in the environment, and you typically are not wearing a hearing protection. So this is a major dilemma for the military. How do you maintain your communication abilities and at the same time protect your hearing? The military is working on the development of devices that will give you the communication abilities and hearing protection, but these are really not in general or widespread use. They're still in the early developmental stages. Not to be too simplistic, but where does the tinnitus come from, meaning the noise? Is it from the ear or is it from the brain? The conventional wisdom used to be that tinnitus originated from your ear, and the reason for that is when you would ask patients, where do you hear the tinnitus, they would point to their left ear or to their right ear. That was the general feeling 20 or 30 years ago because you associated the tinnitus as coming from a year that that's where the tinnitus generator was located. However, modern imaging studies have really sort of dispelled that notion to a large extent, as well as studies that have been done on patients that had acoustic tumors removed from their ear. These are called acoustic neuromas or vestibular schwannomas. A tumor growing on the auditory nerve, surgeons would go in and cut the nerve to remove the auditory nerve to get the tumor out. The person would go deaf in that ear, but then claim afterwards that they heard the tinnitus in their deaf ear, and this deaf ear was not really connected to the brain any longer. So the only explanation for this tinnitus that comes about from the removal of a tumor from the auditory nerve was that the tinnitus generator had to be in the brain. And modern imaging studies have really substantiated this. Is tinnitus usually unilateral, or can it be bilateral? It's often unilateral, but many patients will have it in both ears. I've just spoke to a patient this morning who uh, had a hearing loss in one ear, but had tinnitus predominantly in the ear with the hearing loss, but also experienced tinnitus in the opposite ear, where there was very minimal evidence of hearing loss. 
Some patients will also claim that they not only hear it in their ear, but some patients will actually experience the tinnitus in their head. They'll claim that it's not in their ear, but they actually have the sensations coming from the middle of their head somewhere. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Richard Selvey. We've been discussing the range of causes of tinnitus. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888 MDXM157. And thank you for listening.